There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tampa Ranch, Michael We still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host retired nypd sergeant bill cannon a 27 year veteran of the nypd folks we've been covering the murdoch case and as we've said and everyone that's been following us knows that you can't make this story up this story is is an unbelievable story and we talk about you know all the the murders that somehow uh the family was implicated in, and of course, the main one was of uh, Paul and his mother, Maggie. And of course, we watched the trial where Alec Murdoch just convicted of those. And then, of course, in 20, uh, I believe it was 2018, the housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, fell down the stairs or was pushed down the stairs and resulting in a $4 million lawsuit filed against Alec Murdoch by one of his law partners, and which resulted in a $4 million settlement of which the money was never given to the two sons of Gloria Satterfield. And once they start digging even more, we come up with another case that everyone is just too aware of, and that is the case of Stephen Smith. And of course, that's the young man on the left there. Uh, and he allegedly was killed in a vehicle accident, a hit and run. But all of the evidence is what we would call in New York fugazi. It's not uh, straight up evidence. The investigators disagreed with the, uh, the, the pathologist that did the autopsy. Somehow he was found in the middle of the road, almost like his body was posed Uh there was no evidence of a hit and run. There was a theory that he was hit with the mirror of a car. But if that would have occurred, there would have been glass in the road. The mirror undoubtedly would have broke with the force that he was hit with. But instead, it looked like when the investigators arrived on the scene, it looked like blunt trauma. And they even thought that it was a gunshot wound, uh, the initial response to the scene. Now, with a death in, like this, that begs for investigation, it doesn't appear that the investigation was very thorough or very accurate because so many questions remain to be unanswered. You know, and I, I thought that one of the things that remains to be answered, and it's never truly been defined as to what it is right now, is why was this not ruled a homicide, you know, or a criminally negligent homicide based on a hit and run? Right now, I, I'm not even sure how they're carrying this case. Could this be an intentional murder? All of those questions need to be answered. And, you know, we're talking about seven and a half years ago. What took them so long to investigate this properly? And those are some of the questions we're going to try to answer tonight. All of a sudden, you know, we heard during the uh, investigation of Paul Murdoch and Maggie Murdoch's murder, we were told that uh, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division 
uncovered solid evidence that the case of Stephen Smith was a murder and that they were going to reveal this evidence. So far, it has not been revealed. So what do we have? We still have tons and tons of questions. And for those questions, I'm going to bring in right now my co-host, Phil Grimaldi, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn. Phil Grimaldi, how are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, you know, and we're going to answer some of these questions, but I have a real treat for the audience. At least they let us know the last time it was a real treat when she appeared on the show. And I have attorney, actress, mom, Melanie Little. Welcome to the show, Melanie. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Good to see you How guys. are you, Melanie? Good. Melanie, you're such a breath of fresh air. They see us <laughs> in NYPD retired cops. They go, let's get some eye candy on this screen, you know? Oh. <laughs> so that's a compliment. Uh, <laughs> I have brains too, Bill. I well, not only not only beauty, but she has Ladies, brains. That's right. Chat. <laughs> that's right. She's Melanie, the mother you know, of five. That's the mother true. of five. That's right, Melanie. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, and we spoke a little about it off the air, is that you know what is this actually ruled? Is this just an open investigation, a wrongful death investigation? It hasn't been ruled a homicide. Uh, it took seven and a half years for them to even get the attention as to what happened here. And I think, you know, you could tell us a little bit about the involvement of the Murdoch family. Why were they involved at all? This is just, there's so many things to unpack with regard to this case. Um, it is a reopened investigation. They reopened this investigation in June of 2021 after the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. Because they said that during that investigation, they uncovered some evidence that would help them discover who did this, what we're now calling a crime. Um, initially, the case was ruled immediately a motor vehicle accident. He was uh, the pathologist who rendered the autopsy report within eight hours of them finding Stephen Smith's body on that lonely roadway in South Carolina ruled that it was the result of a hit and run motor vehicle accident. There was a lot of controversy with that ruling because the coroner who came to the scene of the accident said initially that he saw a gunshot wound to Stephen's head. You know, this gets very tangled because there were so many different law enforcements involved. The first on the scene was the, uh, the Hampton County Sheriff's office. Then I believe that SLED became involved, the uh, State Law Enforcement Division, and the South Carolina Highway Department, who is in charge of investing motor vehicle accidents. So you had right away some jurisdictional issues about who was going to be in charge of this investigation. So I don't really you know, think we Melody, have any answers yet. No, we don't. You know, Melody, one of the things we would expect also, in fact, it's not something we just expect, but it's an absolute rule, a hard rule in the NYPD, and that's in a homicide investigation, the catching detective attends the autopsy. And in this case, if it wasn't ruled a homicide, at least the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division investigator should have attended the autopsy because it's not good enough to argue your theory from afar. You have to be in the room and talk to the pathologist as why you think, wait, this is not a look at his wound on his head. That looks like it was caused by a blunt instrument, not the mirror of a car. If that was the case, there would be glass in his hair. There'd be glass on the road. There were none of those things. There was no skid marks on the road. How do you wind up 
in the very middle of the road, laying on your back, looking up if you were hit by a car. It just doesn't sound, it sounds fugazi. I'll use that word again. Phil, you, you seem like you want to say something. Well, right off the bat, we know that Stephen Smith, uh, July 2015 is when he uh, succumbs to the injuries and what they're calling a motor vehicle accident. Now, uh, June of June 7, 2021 is when the double homicide takes place of Maggie Murdoch and Paul Murdoch on the grounds of the family's hunting lodge. On June 22nd, 2021, State Law Enforcement Division of South Carolina, also known as SLED, opens a homicide investigation into the death of Stephen Smith as a result of information obtained during double murder investigation of Alex's wife and son, Paul and Maggie. So we know that there was something that they uncovered during the investigation of the double homicide that led them to believe there was something, as you said, Bill, Fugazi regarding Stephen Smith's homicide. Now, I just want to piggyback a couple of the details that Melanie brought up. Now, again, initially they thought it was, they called the homicide team in because they thought it was a gunshot wound to the head. After they examined further, they seen that it was blunt force trauma. They said possibly it could be a motor vehicle accident. They brought in the highway patrol. Now in the NYPD, we know highway patrol will investigate all seriously injured and likely to die uh, cases or a person is killed in a motor vehicle accident. So they start their investigation. However, the coroner shows up and very quickly after the autopsy rules it a motor vehicle accident. Now, Billy, you brought up the point about where the location of the body being found was. It was in the center of the road. Now, according to what they put in the uh, uh, accident report, if the vehicle was traveling in one direction and Stephen Smith was walking in the opposite direction, when he gets hit with that side mirror, his body would have been thrust into the side of the road uh, and not towards the middle of the road. Now, again, you brought up the other point. There was no glass found. Uh, if a mirror strikes a person at you know, 30, 40, 50 miles an hour, 60, 70 miles an hour, whatever it was to cause such blunt force injuries to a human being, there would be either pieces of the mirror, broken glass, or something else of that nature. Now, again, uh, it's not ruled a homicide at this point. They are looking into it. They did open a homicide investigation, which means you have the homicide squad of the state law enforcement division looking into it. What they uncover remains to be seen. Phil, I just want to correct you. The coroner did not think it was a motor vehicle accident. The coroner thought it was blunt trauma or a gunshot wound. The pathologist ruled, right, right. and a very very loosely ruled that a motor vehicle accident said, oh, I ruled it that, but I'm ready to change my mind if someone convinces me of such. Melanie, what do you think about that? In fact, when she was, yes, when she was confronted by the coroner who said to her, how did you determine this was a motor vehicle accident? And she was from what I read, it sounded, you know, gave a very snippy response. Like, well, I was told he was found in the middle of the road. Doesn't mean it's a car accident. Um, and then she said to the coroner, well, I'll change the report to say whatever you want to say. Yeah, that's pretty damn scary. That's pretty unprofessional to even say. Let me play a little bit of this report. Since 19-year-old Stephen Smith was found lying dead on the side of the road in the low country, Losled reopened the case into his death shortly after the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. The agency says they're, quote, making progress, and the case remains active and ongoing. Blair Sables in Hampton County with more. Somebody out there knows something. It's July 8th, 2015. A driver on his way to work calls 911 to report a body lying in the middle of the street on Sandy Run Road. 
The victim turns out to be 19-year-old Stephen Smith, a shy teen, but a funny and outgoing one to his inner circle. Smith was openly gay in the small rural South Carolina town he grew up in. One of my favorite quotes that he had said to his mom was, God doesn't make mistakes. I am who I am, and God did not make a mistake. The blunt force trauma to his head appears as a possible gunshot wound to the first responders on the scene, but the coroner's office later rules his death a hit and run. He also has injuries to his left arm and left hand. More than seven years have passed since, and the mysterious details of his final hours have weighed on his mother, Sandy Smith, and the rest of the family. It's draining. Susanna Andrews has become a close friend to them in their time of need. The family rejects the hit-and-run theory. South Carolina Highway Patrol's initial investigation finds no vehicle debris, skid marks, or injuries consistent with someone being struck by a vehicle. A heated discussion between trooper Todd Proctor and pathologist Dr. Aaron Presnell reveals that the death was ruled this way because Smith was found in the road. Blue paint chips are found on Smith's clothes but cannot be traced to a specific make or model. And Smith's car was found about three miles away on Bamberg Highway. It won't start, but investigators find his wallet inside. You know, Melanie, one of the things uh, that I wanted to mention here is that what do you think it's like to be a young gay man in this small South Carolina town? What must that be like? He was openly gay, and this is a, a very uh, small town, conservative. Many of his friends have, have come out and, and spoken to the press and said that it was probably very difficult for him. Um, there has been some speculation that perhaps he and Buster had a relationship. Um, they did go to high school together, and he had either tutored Buster or had helped him with some papers. And some of the theories are that perhaps they did have a relationship and the Murdochs were not aware. And this would have been a very shameful thing for Buster, for his family to know that, um, which is heartbreaking. But kudos to Sandy Smith, Stephen's mom, who did not give up. She fought this investigation every step of the way. She wrote you know, Melanie, the FBI. It's sort of sad when you see the the poor people and their powerlessness against the machine. You might call the Murdoch family the machine mm -hmm. because here they are, this powerful, wealthy law firm. And why were the Murdochs, how did they get involved in this case if they had no, you know, no stake in this game? How and why, Melanie? Did well, the, Mur the Murdoch in? family ruled this area of South Carolina for close to a hundred years their family were, was the, what we would call a district attorney or a prosecuting attorney of Hampton County and the five surrounding counties. I think it was the 14th circuit of that little northwest, northwest corner of South Carolina for close to 100 years. So the family had power, they had prestige, and they were feared. And I think a lot of people who may know what happened were afraid to come forward. And now that Alec is in jail and he's been convicted of the murder of his wife and son, perhaps some of those barriers of fear will be uh, removed and maybe some people will come forward with information. But it seems like right now all we have is a rumor and conjecture that Buster Murdoch may have had some kind of relationship with Stephen Smith. 
a, a homosexual relationship and that he may have had something to do with his death, but there's no, at least they're not present any, presenting any evidence. There's a lot of voices behind the scenes saying this, but none that we can, you know, put our finger on and say, oh, this person says this. Well, I will say that uh, during the investigation, more than half of the witnesses who were interviewed, more than 40 times the Murdoch name was mentioned, and it was redacted from the initial reports. Uh, immediately at the scene, the Murdoch name came up, and it was not in the notes of the detectives or whoever it was that was investigating. So it's a little fugazi, Bill, as you would say. Well, huh. what's scary here is the power that the Murdochs could also have over local law enforcement. And you saw during the trial of Alec Murdoch the disdain that he had for SLED because maybe he didn't wield the same power and influence over SLED that he did over the local law enforcement people who feared him and were, were very friendly to him. I'm screwed. His family reports he would have never left the car, calling him skittish. And his twin sister, Stephanie, also tells authorities that her brother had become very secretive about two weeks prior to the incident. Documents show investigators fielding tips about the Murdoch family in the days and months following his death. The first tip comes in early August, suggesting swirling rumors of a relationship between Smith and Buster Murdoch, Alec Murdoch's eldest and now only surviving son. An investigator also fields a tip about another possible suspect, but that tipster tells them he passed along the information at the request of a well-known family patriarch, former solicitor Randy Murdoch. Andrew says in the record she has the Murdoch name is mentioned 40 times. Where there's smoke, there's fire. There has to be something to it. Eventually, the leads dried up and the case went cold. That was until the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch in June of 2021. That same month, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division reopened Smith's case based on information they had gathered during that initial murder investigation. What that information is, though, still has yet to be revealed. SLED reports they have made progress in the last year and a half, but to this day, no suspects have been formally named in relation so there's been no suspects named in this case, but we hear a lot of rumor and conjecture about the involvement of Buster Murdoch. Phil. Well, first off, I think they have to look at the original autopsy photos and they got to try and figure out a better cause of death. That should, that should be starters. Now, um, they rule out a motor vehicle accident at some point. I think they can probably get to that point because, as we said the, the fact that there was no debris found on the road, his body was thrown into the middle of the road. So again, uh, maybe there was some type of, uh, he tried to run and they swerved with the car and that's how he wound up in the middle of the road. Um, that's one of the things I think that needs to be done. Uh, I'm real curious to see what the information is that they uncovered. And again, how does the Murdoch family come to find out about this and uh, notified the family that, you know, one of the lawyers, I believe Alex's brother is going to represent the family in the lawsuit uh, on, you know, like uh, the, the day it happened, the same day. So how did they find out about it so quick? And again, Bill, I got the same sense as you did about uh, Alec Murdoch's feeling about SLED during the trial. He definitely showed disdain for them. Perhaps he was able to control the area in the town that they lived in. But as far as the state went, I don't think he had that much control over SLED. How about a br the brother of Alec Murdoch 
calling Miss, Mrs. Smith and wanting to represent her in this case. Isn't that like the chicken coop? Now here's the fox wants to represent you. I mean, it's almost like Alec Murdoch hiring his friend to sue him in the Satterfield case. Right. Melanie. The, the second call that, uh, that Sandy Smith received after the notification call that her son had been in an accident or was found was from Randy Murdoch, Alec's brother, who's, who offered to represent her for freight. She hadn't even, it hadn't even been confirmed that that was in fact her son. And she said, all of a sudden, this guy's on the phone with me. He wants to represent me for free. It was very, very, very fishy and very strange. Uh, there were some reports that the Murdoch family, I'm not sure which members of the family were at the scene while it was being investigated. You know, I would think that uh, in an investigation like this, you might want to do some cell phone work too, to see who Buster Murdoch was calling that night, to see whether he was out near that road that night, to see how all of a sudden the Murdochs all showed up on the scene, some cross-checking who called who, you know? I feel Billy like the Wizard of Oz. Very difficult to get cell phone records going back that far. Cell, cell phone carriers are only required to keep one year's worth of records. I doubt very highly those records will exist today. However- oh, but I'm just wondering whether they, why they, they didn't do this back, you know, into 2015. Yes, 100%, should have you been know, done that This then. was a, a checklist thing. Let's check to see who was calling who, unless there was no, uh, they didn't have any idea that perhaps at that point, there was no suspicion thrown at Buster Murdoch or the Murdoch family in this case back in 2015. And it took years maybe for that suspicion to arise. Think about when you have a pathologist that's willing to change the cause of death based on, uh, you know, maybe pressure from uh, the solicitor general of the town, you know, which is the equivalent of the district attorney in our area. So, again, they wielded so much power over 100 years. They were uh, in control of that town. And, you know, when Alec Murdoch showed up at the hospital during the boating incident, when the boating accident happened, he had a badge hanging out of his pocket that was given to him. So again, he was uh, trying to interject himself into situations. It appears that the Murdoch family interjected themselves into this situation. I just hope and pray that they is enough evidence if they exhume the body or they have the uh, the uh, uh, autopsy reports that they could figure out exactly what caused. Uh, you know, the death of uh, Mr. Smith. And, you know, uh, again, like Melanie said earlier, a lot of people maybe have been fearful to come forward and, and give information on this type of a thing because of the uh, dynasty that ex existed with the Murdoch family. But now that um, one of the main players has been taken down, perhaps this will uh, entice people to come forward that, to give information on this case. I think this is a straight out exhume the body case. This is no look at the pictures from seven and a half years ago. Of course. This is a, a dig up the body and do a redo the autopsy. Look at that blunt trauma wound to his head. Examine his body. I mean, of course, the crime scene now is useless because if there was any, you know, they said there was no skid marks. There was no sign of, there was no glass. There was no, but then they said there was blue paint chips on his body. Uh, that would seem to indicate some type of vehicle interaction, but you know, everything else points to a blunt trauma uh, to the back of his head. Melanie. 
Yeah, there, there were well, there was no evidence of a car accident at that scene. There was no skid marks. There were no tire tracks. There were no uh, there, no, no debris from a vehicle. Uh, you know, all indications point to the fact that perhaps he died somewhere else and was planted at that scene in the middle of that road. His cell phone was found in his pocket undamaged. If he was hit by a truck, he would have went flying from the injuries that I read about in the autopsy report and the fact that his skull was pretty much bashed in, for lack of a better term, that vehicle would have been traveling at such a high speed to cause those injuries that there would be some sort of evidence of a vehicle. The fact, 100%. I want to know who the last person he called was. His mother said she, she, he would never, ever walk in a dark road like that at night. It was three o'clock in the morning. He was found almost three miles from where his car allegedly ran out of gas. She described her son as skittish. I guess that's a, right. a, a kind word and say maybe a little cowardly that he wasn't a brave individual, which is fine. But that he, like what you said, he would never get out of a car and walk three miles on a dark road. You know? No, he had a phone in his pocket. Who did he call? Yeah, that's interesting. He could have called anybody know. for help. He could have called AAA. He could have called you know, roadside assistance, he could have called 911. He could, he probably, she said he never would have walked three miles. And it was found pretty close to Moselle too. Yeah. And did he, in fact, um, was he chased, you know, was he chased into the road? Well, that's some of the things. Let me play a little bit of this from News Nation. Kenny, because you were under the spotlight in that trial, the jurors wanted to meet you when it was over. You went and met them. H how are you doing now? I mean, you are under so much pressure. Have you have you had a chance to, to, you know, take a break? Ryan, I'll start with my team first. As I've mentioned, you know, my team here at home, I couldn't have taken myself away from my duties for five or six weeks without having a great team here at home. The AG's office were second to none. The SLED Low Country agents and the laboratory SLED in general, in my opinion, did a great job. They they welcomed me back and, and they were so uh, helpful in my examination of the evidence. The jurors are my heroes. And as I said, I wouldn't question their verdict one way or the other. I'm so glad I didn't have to make that choice, but it ripped my heart out in a good way when they wanted to meet me that morning. That's never happened in my career. And they thanked me. And yeah, it's very unusual, yeah. That means more than anyone could ever know. But I wanted to thank them. They wanted to thank me. But definitely, I didn't deserve a thank you because they put their life on hold for six weeks. And for that, we all owe them a debt. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kenny and Steve, um, thank you both for your time tonight. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. I'm sure we'll be in touch as these other. That gentleman was one of the was the uh, top witness for the prosecution against Alec Murdoch. In fact, he was a ballistics expert with such unbelievable credentials. I think that the the defense was like, "Oh no, you know that their their expert witness said 360 degrees opposite what he said, but their witness didn't have his credentials, and he he sort of shredded their witness, and that that happens. You know, it's just like he, the defense witness is always going to say what's favorable to them, of course, but somewhere in the middle, there lies the truth, <laughs> right? You know, 
You know, Billy, I just wanted to bring up a point about uh, what Melanie had just said regarding the vehicle. If it was uh, a vehicle traveling at a high rate of speed, it's three o'clock in the morning, it's a dark road, it's possible maybe there's no skid marks. Uh, you know, they hit, hit the person, maybe they didn't realize it was a person, thought it was an animal, whatever, they didn't skid. But there would definitely be some type of debris on the road from, uh, you know, the mirror or whatever it was that struck uh, Stephen Smith's body. Now, again, we talk about the blue paint chips. Some part of a, a blue vehicle sounds like made impact with his body. And she brought up another great point that if he was thrust at a high rate, a vehicle hits him at a high rate of speed or the mirror hits him, he'd be thrust. There would be abrasions all over his body from being thrust and, and thrown into the uh, the side of the road, in, into the ditch. And again, the body was found in the middle of the road. Very unlikely. It didn't seem that way when we first reported on this way back last year when we did some shows on this. So again, it's just too many things here. And all of the other stuff that Alec Murdoch did with regard to Gloria Satterfield, uh, you know, stealing all the money from the son, creating a, uh, an account for it to go into that sounded like a, a settlement account where other uh, settlements had gone to. Just so many things. There's definitely something very fugazi related to this case, related to the Murdochs. They just have to figure it out. Good police work, good investigation, good detectives are going to come to the conclusions on what took place here. Absolutely. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime from a police perspective, then go on our channel. Go on our YouTube, hit that hit that thumbs up button, that like button, subscribe to us. It's free to subscribe and uh, make comments. We love to read your comments and the back and forth that we have in, in the chat. We, we really appreciate that. If you want to uh, support us financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also, on our Patreon, we post old uh, episodes of Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, and you can hear the audio. So if you're driving in your car, you can listen to that through our Patreon site, and it comes over through uh, Spotify. And if you want to join our YouTube channel members, we have, count them, five different levels, and you see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube channel members, and we totally 100% appreciate our fans, our subscribers, and our friends. Um, this case is just is, is pretty amazing. I want to play a little bit of the law and order people. They're pretty competent, and I, I love to listen to their point of view on these cases. Um, let me pull them up here. Barely touched upon, but it is important to discuss, and that is the death of 19-year-old Stephen Smith. So now let's go back seven and a half years ago. It's July 8th, 2015, and the police receive a 911 call for, from a- Recordings just got better. Sorry, guys. I, I, I really hate when that happens. I'll have to figure out a way to- uh, I'll, I'll remove this now, but- uh, Four seconds, we can hit skip ads. Okay, I'll, I'll let it- uh, the wonders of live TV. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it is it is terrible. But the um, what we're talking about here is this is a 19 year old kid at the time, you know, and one of the few probably gay kids in this community. Not, I mean, not that that has anything to do with it, but could it have something to do with his murder? Could it have something to do if this is right now? It's not even ruled a murder. It's not ruled a homicide. So what does it have to do with? And that's what 
I think South Carolina Law Enforcement Division is trying to figure out what is the cause of this? What, you know, what is the motive for this? Uh, let me play this again. I hope I got it set up. Another story that we have barely touched upon, but it is important to discuss. And that is the death of 19-year-old Stephen Smith. So now let's go back seven and a half years ago. It's July 8th, 2015, and the police receive a 911 call from a man who found an unconscious person in the middle of a Sandy Run Road in Hampton, South Carolina. And it was revealed that that person was Stephen Smith. And he was not unconscious. He was dead. Now, the case was ruled a hit and run by investigators. After all, his body was found in the middle of the road. He was bleeding from his head. But here is where it gets interesting. There were no visible signs that he had been hit by a car. There was no bumper, glass, no fragments, nothing from part of a car anywhere to be found around the scene. Now, with Stephen's body, he had severe head trauma, only very few scratches on his arms, his legs. His shoes were still on. Blood was only found right next to his body, not along the road. Now, of course, this is pure speculation, but an obvious question would be, if this was a hit and run, do you think that there would be more damage? There would be more physical evidence. But the sheriff's department and the coroner were already on the scene and determined it was a hit and run. Now, the highway patrol, specifically a division that specializes in car wrecks, had a different take. Highway Patrol Officer D.B. Rowell scanned the, scanned the scene and stated, quote, I saw no vehicle debris, skid marks, or injuries consistent with someone being struck by a vehicle. He wrote this in his original incident report dated July 8, 2015. The victim's shoes were loosely tied and both were still on. We see no evidence to suggest the victim was struck by a vehicle. So the sheriff's department claimed it was a hit and run, but the South Carolina Highway Patrol believed that this was the scene of a murder. You don't see that every day, that difference of opinion. But there is a lot more. Stephen's car was found three miles away from his body. The car was found broken down. The gas cap was off. So one logical conclusion would be, well, maybe Stephen ran out of gas and was walking down the road to go to the nearest gas station to get gas. Well, does that make sense? Well, one, he was walking in the opposite direction of the closest gas station. And two, he left his wallet in the car. Also, his phone was found on his body with battery life. So the question is, why not call someone to pick you up? Let's also go back to Stephen's body. The main cause of his death was blunt force trauma to the head. And as I said, it was ruled a hit and run. And that was backed up by pathologist Dr. Erin Presnell, who said she believed the injuries were consistent with being hit by a car. However, investigators asked Presnell if Smith could have suffered the, the head wound from being hit by someone with a baseball bat. She said no, but when investigators asked if Smith could have been hit in the head from being struck by a bat or another object that was held by someone in a moving vehicle, she said, quote, well, I guess that's possible. So was it a hit and run or not? Now, you might be saying, what does all of this have to do with Alec Murdoch? Well, the highway patrol continues to investigate the case. Stephen's car, though, was never dusted or tested for fingerprints or DNA because Stephen's death, as I said, was ruled a hit and run. 
The Highway Patrol tries asking people around Hampton County about Stephen. Many people won't talk about it. They seem to be shy to be talking about it. At least that's what the reports indicate. And eventually they speak to Stephen's mother, Sandy Smith. And she says that the rumor she keeps hearing, and let me emphasize that this is just a rumor, is that it was the Murdoch boys who are responsible for Stephen's death. Unbelievable, right? But again, no hard evidence to that. And I will say as a as someone who spent 16 years of my 27 years on the NYPD in an investigative capacity, when we had a fatality on a highway, it's even in the NYP, NYPD patrol guide, it's the case belongs to our highway unit, but the precinct squad of occurrence will assist the highway unit. This investigation, there were so many things lacking in it. It's almost like they phoned it in and they didn't do, they didn't cross their T's, dot their I's. They, they did a very flimsy investigation, in my opinion. And it's tough to correct things that go, have gone wrong uh, when all this time has gone by. Melanie, your thoughts? Or there's a cover-up. Uh, my thoughts are that Sandy's story from the beginning of this case is very, very specific. She says that she was told by certain people that uh, Buster Murdoch and two of his friends were traveling home from a base or a softball tournament or a baseball tournament that evening. And that perhaps, and this is where the cell phone records would be really helpful, uh, when Stephen's car ran out of gas, perhaps he called Buster, who happened to be in the area. He and his buddies came over, picked him up, something happened, and that's where his body was left. Hence the questions about the baseball bat. If they were coming from a softball tournament or a baseball tournament, they may have had bats with them in the car. You know, what did Buster Murdoch have a softball tournament the night that Stephen uh, Smith was killed? You know, somebody's ever answered the, that question. You know, Melanie, some people in the chat are asking this question, and it's um, it's probably something that not many of people would have thought of. And was there a sexual offense evidence collection kit done on Stephen Smith? And I don't. It probably. I, I would imagine the answer is no, but I, I, you know, it's easy to say now, oh, that should have been done. Well, they were investigating this as a vehicle accident, as a vehicle hit and run. So I think that would have been far fetched for them to do that. But obviously, when you think of it now, it makes sense. It probably should have been done. Phil. Well, think about this, guys. Um Motive. Uh, always in a crime, there's a motive. I don't think in 2015, the, the fact that he was gay would be the sole motive for him to be killed. Is it possible? It's always possible. Is it likely? No. However, if he had some type of a secret, secret sexual affair with Buster, and now perhaps maybe people were talking about it, he wanted to put an end to this rumor that was going around about his sexuality. Now you have some motive now. And that was intimated by several people after this horrible thing took place. However, there was nothing being done about it until the double homicide of uh, Maggie Murdoch and Paul Murdoch. So again, uh, this thing, if that murder, that double homicide didn't take pl place, perhaps this case would have just died, you know, would have just been ruled as a motor vehicle accident 
and never investigated, never looked at. So again, so many things happening around uh, Alec Murdoch that are now being uncovered. And uh, I think we're really just scratching the surface, so to speak. There's probably a lot more to be, uh, to be uncovered. But again, uh, the investigation, where is it at this point? We really don't know. We don't have inside fact and knowledge from SLED. Uh, I would love to know what it was that caused them to open a homicide investigation. You know, that's why, I mean, I'm talking about how important the cell phone records were. And as you said, Phil, seven and a half years later, they don't exist unless they subpoenaed or had a search warrant for certain folks' cell phone during that time period. If they didn't, all that stuff is lost right now. And it's easy for us to conjecture about it. But Melanie, it is it is amazing, though, how the Murdoch family got involved in this case if they had no axe to grind in this game. Axe to grind? Um, well, I, well, by that I mean uh, Buster was involved in it. So they were protect trying to... somebody's right. ass. Yeah, I mean, yes. yeah, if there was some sort of cover-up. I mean, if you watch the Netflix documentary, which I thought was very well done, in the it third was. episode, um, Paul's girlfriend at the time, her name was Morgan, um, she spoke and she said that she was at dinner at the Murdoch house when she started dating Paul. And um, she said something about why are people in town talking about the fact that Buster may be involved with, uh, with Stephen Smith's death. And they all just started laughing and they said, Oh, we would never kill that derogatory term. Um, and she was really taken aback by that, that they were joking about it. And it was just something that was just, taken so lightly in their house and I got to disagree with you Phil um detective Phil that in South Carolina in 2015 I think that somebody might have been killed just for being gay you know hate crimes exist um they don't have hate crime laws down there it's very different you know New York City I mean it still happens here in New York City so could that be enough of a motive you know we'll never know I don't think we'll ever really know what the motive is I'm hoping that the evidence that they found during the 2021 investigation was some sort of electronic evidence, either uh, emails talking about the case or text messages, maybe on Maggie's phone where they were talking about the case or, you know, talking about the cover up or talking about, you know, anything having to do with that case that may incriminate someone in that family. That's the I, I only thing that I could think of that they found. I Maybe. said that it wasn't likely. I didn't say it yeah. was impossible. And I, I also said that it sounds to me a better motive is to cover up, uh, you know, Buster's uh, sexuality if he was living life as a heterosexual male. And however, he did have some type of an interaction with Stephen Smith. That would be a tremendous motive to want to keep him quiet. That's the point mm -hmm. I was trying to make. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. don't I don't think that uh, hate crimes don't exist. I did no. not say that. No, Absolutely no, 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 I didn't no. mean that you sent that yeah. at all, but I just, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a sensitive subject and Absolutely. And that's listen, a very, it's it's very I think it's very different, you know, than what we're used to up here. It's a very different. That, that could be, place. that could be, listen, in, in our area in the Northeast, obviously there's tremendous inclusion of everyone. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's, uh, you know, there's not groups of people going around attacking people for their sexuality that I've seen, you know, in general. It, does it happen? Yes, of course it does happen. But I don't think it's a, a pervasive or a prevalent 
crime where we live around us in South Carolina could be, but I just didn't seem to think that that alone, you know, the kid being gay, I mean, looked like a nice kid to me. And, you know, you know I th Phil, I think that this in a little town in South Carolina, and that's why I asked you that question, uh, Melanie, was that, could you be targeted just for being gay? And the answer is absolutely yes. Of course. You know, you're going to stand out in your high school, but sometimes like a gay kid could be the most popular kid because people like him, for, you know, for that difference in his person. But in, in other times, there's a lot of hatred, especially in a small little town like this, hatred directed at him. And that could very possibly be the motive in, in addition to what people are saying, conjecturing at this point, because we have no solid, solid evidence other than people talking behind the scenes that Buster Murdoch had some type of relationship with Stephen Smith. Thoughts, Melanie? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just speculation. I don't know that anybody's really come forward with any hard proof of that. Um, unless, like I said, they discovered some electronic evidence that points to any of those facts. Um, I think there's a lot more to come on this case, a lot. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I cringe at also is that if a couple of investigative arms so disagree with each other on the scene, and one of the most important people is seemingly clueless because she's not speaking to the investigators, and I'm referring to the pathologist, and then the coroner, which is a system we've spoken about, which is antiquated and should not be anywhere in this country, the, the system should be a medical examiner system, not a coroner system. As we also saw, there was a coroner in the Coburg and the Idaho quadruple case. The coroner system is an antiquated system. It should be done away with across the country. If there's going to be someone responding to a crime scene, especially something, and I'll segue to the uh, quadruple murders in, in uh, Idaho, it should be the coroner response, not the coroner, excuse me, the pathologist should be responding to the scene, not the coroner. The coroner is someone who's voted in there and may or may not have the credentials to investigate death. In the case of um, the Idaho 4, the coroner was an RN with a law degree. That doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. I want someone with MD after their name to respond to a murder scene. Right. I think a lot of people don't know that, that a coroner is not required to be a medical doctor. Uh, in this case, he was not a medical doctor. He had some law enforcement background and he had some other type of background, but he did not have a medical license. And 100%. the medical examiner is the doctor who does perform the autopsy. But I think in some, in some states, too, the coroner does perform the autopsy. I can't even imagine that. That's uh, crazy. But my whole point is that if there's such disagreement on the scene with, by the investigators, then they should all meet together somewhere in a classroom and present all the evidence to each other and establish investigative direction. Where are we going with this case? Because right now it's all over the place. And that can't be. And it doesn't seem like they did that. It seemed like there was just animosity between SLED, animosity between the highway patrol, animosity between the local police, the pathologist would do whatever she was told to do. The coroner disagreed with the pathologist. So that's not a good look. It's not a good feel. It's not good for the investigation. And that's why this case is open seven and a half years later. It sounded like a pissing match, Bill. We refer to that as a pissing match when two different uh, you know, entities are trying to come to uh, different conclusions. 
And again, uh, you know, with the Murdoch family being in that town, perhaps there was a cover-up taking place. We're going to find out hopefully sometime soon. And just think about how disturbing it is that uh, what Melanie talked about earlier from the Netflix documentary, uh, uh, Paul's girlfriend brings it up and they're laughing about it, that this young man was killed and, you know, they make a derogatory term about him. That's disturbing to me. And, and almost like they knew that there was some nefarious thing that had taken place and they're giggling about it. Terrible. It's just, uh, it's really stomach turning to hear that type of stuff. 100%. Uh, I want to play a little bit more of this. And after many interviews, more than a dozen people brought up the name Buster Murdoch. Buster is Paul's older brother and Alec's oldest son. In fact, this is Alec talking a little bit more about Buster when he is interviewed during the course of the Paul and Maggie murder investigation. You have any other children? I do. I have a 24-year-old. That's right. You said What's his name? Buster. Well, Richard Alexander Jr. Okay. He goes by Buster. He goes by Buster. Is he here tonight? He's on his way. Okay. I know that I talked to Buster. Um, so I made. Do you love boating? Do you want a hassle free boating experience? So again, it's it's pointing in the direction of of Buster Murdoch. We're seeing that evidence of that uh, right on the scene here, and uh, that's what that's what needs to be uncovered by the investigators in this case. And it's taking seven and a half years for them to reach, if they're even at this point now. I don't know if they are. Points. Go ahead, Melanie. Would there be any reason to to not announce anything? Did they not want to compromise Alec Murdoch's trial? And so therefore they wanted to wait until it was over to announce what they found, if anything? Did they not want to spook uh, any potential suspects from, you know, leaving the country? I don't know. Yeah. It's... I would... Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead, Phil. Ahead, no I would way. I would tend to believe that Melanie may be 100% correct right there because the fact that, uh, you know, you're going to conduct dual investigations. There's a murder investigation into the double homicide. Now you're opening the homicide investigation of Stephen Smith. Uh, again, you're not going to drop the ball and not do anything on it, but perhaps maybe not get so public with it. Wait until he's convicted. Now it seems like there'll be more of a reason to come forward and give information. And again, uh, they've already, I believe, exhumed the body of Gloria Satterfield. And let's see if they're going to exhume uh, Stephen Smith's body to examine that. And again, there's going to be plenty of information from the original autopsy that investigators could look at. They can bring it to other professionals in the forensic area. So again, uh, they just have to, uh, they have to shake the tree a little bit, as we say, Billy, you know, uh, get some, uh, get some people come forward with some information. And I'd be definitely talking to Buster's friends for sure. I think now that if they do shake the tree, uh, it's more likely that some people will come forward because they'll feel empowered by the fact that Alec Murdoch was just sentenced to two life terms in prison. It's weakened the family. It's weakened the family law firm. And there's some couple of chinks in the armor there. So I think it now is a good time to canvas the area and follow the leads and follow people that may have information on this case. Melanie. 
I agree. The dynasty has crumbled. And I think that the fear um, that was in the community prior about speaking about, out about the Murdochs has perhaps dissipated and it will encourage some people to come forward. And I encourage them to do so. Absolutely. And according to Stephen's mother, Stephen was supposed to go on a fishing trip with a prominent person. One of Stephen's friends said that he told him that he was messing around with a man from Hampton County, and if he had mentioned the name, people would be shocked. So again, pure speculation. But one of the rumors that has circulated is that Stephen was in a relationship with Buster Murdoch. But again, no evidence to show that conclusively. And look, the problem is that all of the interviews with people from around Hampton County, they all had several different versions of rumors of what they heard had happened. So law enforcement had no evidence nowhere to point the finger. Buster was never interviewed. No one has been charged for the death of Stephen Smith. And as you can imagine, Stephen's family has been devastated by his death. In fact, exactly three months after Stephen's death, his father, Joel, dies of a heart attack in his sleep. And some have said that he died of heartbreak. And let me add this. In HBO's documentary, Low Country, The Murdoch Dynasty, a man named George Smith, who is a friend of Stephen's father, Joel, claims that he talked to Joel on his last day alive and told him the Murdochs killed my son because he was gay. I know my son. I know he was seeing Buster. Now, let me close this all out with the most curious aspect of this case. Very powerful rumors, rumors. If you can't prove that, it's sort of hard to put it forward because we all know, you know, you have to prove something in a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt. And to, to make a rumor fact it takes a lot of investigation and talking to a lot of people. And right now, it doesn't seem to me that they have any solid, solid evidence that this is a fact. Right now, it's still a rumor. Go ahead, Melanie. Why was Buster never interviewed? Why was Buster never interviewed by anybody? Despite all of these rumors that the mom kept telling them about, he was never interviewed because he was you protected know, by his family. You know, Melanie, that's, that's a great point. And the thing is, you know, uh, you're the son of a lawyer who runs a powerful law firm. He's coached you since you were a kid. If someone approaches you and wants to speak to you, you tell them, no, am I under arrest? Uh, I, I have counsel. My counsel has advised me not to speak to you. Oh, what are you afraid of? Nothing. I've just, that's the, how, what I've been taught since I could talk to not talk to the police. <laughs> Might he have said that? You, you know, Billy, I'm going to speak from an investigative standpoint at this point with the fact that there's no video cameras along that stretch of road. Uh, so there's no video evidence of the accident. The cell phone records don't exist unless they took them from back then. The only thing that might be fruitful for the investigation would be his cell phone, uh, Stephen Smith's cell phone that was recovered in his pocket. If that cell phone is examined today and had never been touched, if it could be powered up, you might get the call logs, see who we called. There could be text messages. That might lead to who he was with just before the incident. Now, again, I want to know who he was with by doing some, uh, you know, uh, investigation of his friends, his whereabouts just before the homicide. Perhaps he was with someone. Perhaps he was with 
maybe even Buster. We don't know who he was with. So all of those things should be looked at. And again, I think the thing that's going to make this case or break it is going to be if someone comes forward and a witness to what happened, comes forward and gives up the information, that's going to be key to this case. Well, the witness that would possibly come forward could be an accomplice and maybe yes. to get himself out of the out of the mix may mm -hmm. give up Buster Murdoch. That's a very good point. Duty Run, thank you so much for the $20 Super Chat. Hello, friends. Great discussion. I'm just here to see Melanie Little. JK, you guys are great. Yeah, Melanie's are our, our Vanna White. Everyone is tuning in just to see what, to see what Melanie's wearing tonight. Hi, Ron. We miss you. I'm going to have to brush up my act a little bit. I'm getting some uh, a little bit of competition here. <laughs> Melanie, it's so what we were talking about just then as far as it's so important to canvas anyone that may be friends or foes of Buster for that matter and find out if we can come up with a witness. That's what they need. Of they course. need a witness because right now it's not even circumstantial. It's rumor. Mm -hmm. And with rumor, you can do nothing except keep talking to people and seeing if you can come up with a witness. Somebody knows something. I'm sure. Absolutely. I'm sure of it. He was, he was, Stephen Smith was on his way home from night school, uh, you know, when this happened and it happened at three o'clock in the morning. So he probably went somewhere after his class. Right. I'm sure his class didn't end at midnight. Um, so all of these things are easily traceable. I haven't really seen a timeline of what Stephen Smith did from the time he left campus until his body was found. I don't know that that was ever done. Um, if he was at you a know, bar. It's... Maybe people saw him leave with somebody. I mean, there's so much that could be uncovered. 100%. And as far as what we know, we don't know a lot of the internal mechanisms of this investigation because it seemed for many, many years they had nothing. They had absolutely nothing. And at least that the case was almost like closed. Oh, the case is closed. It was a hit and run. We have no further information. Imagine you're his mother. His father died of a heart attack in his sleep. You could say he died of a broken heart. Broken heart. Yeah. And yeah. his mother, who's poor, a poor woman, doesn't have power, has no money to go after the powers that be. Look, I'll be the first one to say, dealing with the police, if you don't know how to deal with them, can be a frustrating experience. If you don't know how 100%. to get them to get off their ass in certain points, certain circumstances, you know, you have to have the skill and the knowledge to know how to do that. And if the police aren't cooperating with you, you may have to kick it up to the next level. Maybe the district attorney's office, you know, maybe the state attorney general's office. You know, you have to know how to do all of those things. Lula Morocco. Thank you so much, buddy, for the $20 super chat. Very much appreciated. Lou's a big supporter of the show. Thank you so much. Phil, I'm going to have you do the Joe Murray commercial now. If I could pull up the, uh, the flyer here. There we sure, go. I'm, I want to make a point there for the commercial. Um, Joe Murray, attorney at law, have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray is a big supporter of police off-the-cuff real crime stories, and he's a tremendous criminal defense attorney. If you have need, just reach out to Joe. 
Just don't ever poke him in the chest. No, unless you want to get your jaw broken. <laughs> Joe's a former amateur boxer, and someone yes, learned that yes. the hard way once. Oh, oh <laughs> I was poke. just putting Joe in my phone on speed dial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have just, in mind. Just don't poke him in the chest. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, Billy, I wanted to make a point before we did the commercial about we know as investigators what would be needed to proceed with criminal charges against somebody in this type of a case. Now, I don't think it's going to be that difficult to prove this was not a motor vehicle accident. That's going to be fairly simple to prove. I think uh, it's already basically been proven. Now, what it is that was uncovered during the double homicide investigation, again, that's going to be pivotal to the whole case. But in order for us to proceed with criminal charges against someone, now you and I we're the investigators on this case. We're going to go to the DA's office. We want to make, uh, you know, we want to make an arrest. We want to proceed with charges against A. Who is A? We'll just say Buster for argument's sake. But we have to have, you know, uh, more than just what we think or what we believe. We need an eyewitness. We need some type of physical evidence. We need some type of uh, electronic evidence, a video camera. I don't know if all of those things are going to exist. However, if we do come up with, like you said, a co-conspirator that can put some pieces of the puzzle together, perhaps there could be charges against someone. Now, I use Buster hypothetically because we're talking about him in this middle of this investigation, perhaps. But again, whoever it was that was responsible, if Buster was present and someone else did it, then Buster could be the person that comes forward. But whoever it was, you're, it's going to be a little bit of a... Uh, of a bridge to cross to get to criminal charges on this case, being that it's so old, unless one of the participants does cooperate. Absolutely. William M. Yeah. Somebody took out Stephen Smith. I heard where Stephen had told someone that night that he was followed by a few suspicious guys. William M. I appreciate your comment. However, that's all we have here is rumor and innuendo and there's no proof. So I, as I said, I appreciate, uh, Tom Cusinelli, the retired NYPD captain, you need the feds to get involved. They could care less who you are. They'd call her their own mother. Don't lie to the feds. Tom <laughs> Cusinelli, you happen to be 100% correct. Good point. <laughs> other law enforcement people have found that out the hard way when they've been put into uh, perjury traps by the feds. Uh, that's the other thing. You, you know, People tell you don't talk to law enforcement. Don't ever talk to the feds, even if you're in law enforcement. Don't ever, ever talk to them. <laughs> don't even tell them what time it is. <laughs> no, exactly. Don't even go out to lunch with them unless they're picking up the check, you know. <laughs> so, you know, one uh, of the things I wanted to mention also, and we we um, did a case myself and Dr. Debbie Goodman on the boating accident. And uh, Paul Murdoch, of course, the one who was now was killed by his father. At least his father was convicted of that. You can believe what you want to believe. But he was a really snotty piece of shit of a kid. Uh, you know, he spit in his girlfriend's face, smacked her. He was abusing her for a while. And she put up with it, probably because she was so taken in by, oh, this is the Murdochs, this powerful family, this wealthy family. I got to assume... And I always believe this. The apple never falls too far from the tree. I got to feel that Buster Murdoch is cut from the same cloth. What do you think, Absolutely. Melanie? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah. I mean, listen, after the, the, um, 
the first show that we did about uh, the Murdoch case being, you know, privilege or I can't recall what the title of that show was. There were a lot of comments in the chat about uh, Buster being the favorite son and that the narcissist got rid of the, you know, the spare. You know, there's always the heir and the spare. Buster was the heir. Paul was the spare. Uh, yeah, I, I don't haven't heard a lot about the personality of Buster, but I'm going to say the apple does not fall off from the tree on this one. Bill. Melanie, did you see what he did during the trial? Oh, he yeah. was he was actually admonished by the judge because he was scratching his face with his middle finger uh, while a person was testifying against his father. So, again, uh, I think uh, his personality kind of bled through right there. Oh, 100%. I mean, listen, these kids have never had any ramifications for their behavior. I'm sure they were in trouble their whole lives and they were always uh, bailed out, bailed out by daddy and the uncles who were always on the scene, who are also lawyers, who are always coming to the rescue. And uh, these kids were protected into in this bubble and the bubble has burst. Well, so. Melanie, the, the proof of that was when Paul got in trouble. In fact, on a, at another time, he flipped his car over on the side of the road. Right. You know, had been drinking and flipped the car over. There were beer cans and guns all over the car. He called Randolph Murdoch, who was his grandfather. He was the Mr. Fix-It. He was the mm -hmm. big Mr. Fix-It, you know. He was the roadside repair of the Murdoch family, you know. The John Gotti family. Yeah, the whole family showed up at that accident. The mother, Alec, Randolph. Mm -hmm. The first thing they did was get rid of all the beer cans, and they admonished um, the girlfriend who was, uh, oh, excuse me, Morgan, Morgan Dowdy. They admonished her for calling 911. Why'd you call 911? Don't call 911. Call 1 800 Murdoch, you know, and we'll <laughs> respond to the scene and we'll cover it up. Because if you call the police, and look, that was that was the whole reason really for the boating accident. Paul Murdoch didn't want to drive a car that night because he knew that they would be drinking and he knew the police would have roadblocks. So that's why they took a boat because there's no roadblocks on the water. And we see the results of that, right? Mallory Beach lost her life. What a sin. So, yes, a family of privilege, a family like you hit it on the head, Melanie, that was never told, you know, you can't do that. You can't mm -hmm. do that. You know, like we all give up. Or you're going to go to jail and we're not going to bail you out tonight. You're going to have to sit there until tomorrow. They never, you know, there were no handcuffs in this family. You know, no. they never got handcuffed. They were there to save the day before any anybody could slap them on them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That drunk driving accident was before the boating accident, I presume? Yes, yes. And then yes. I didn't read about that, but I mean, yeah. there you go. He, he got away with it that time, so he thinks he's invincible now. Exactly. And he, and he flipped the car over. And how about even this? How about if you're a, an officer from the local police and you pull up on the scene and there's three Murdoch attorneys there running interference for their son who may be drunk. Do you want to now take action? What are you doing? Going to call your boss to the scene who probably plays golf with Alec Murdoch or has done business with him. So the corruption in this town probably spread all the way to the top of law enforcement. In fact, they had their own Mr. Fix-It that they would call from law enforcement when there were some problems that they couldn't deal with. There was this one guy they called all the time. And then, you know, we all know Alec walked around with that badge so he could gain access to places he wasn't supposed to be in, where he went to the hospital after the boating accident 
to tell all the kids not to talk to anybody. I represent all of you. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about the abuse of the power of being an attorney, right? An attorney is admitted to the bar. That's supposed to be your sacred, your sacred uh, organization that, you know, you're honest. Yes, I'm, I'm a member of the South Carolina bar. And that's supposed to show you have some type of integrity. And when you show that you don't have integrity, and I know when, if you ever, I've done it in my law enforcement career, when I went up to an attorney and said, I'm writing a letter to the bar, they practically shed tears right in front of you. Please don't do that. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> you, you know, Billy, he had a, uh, he had the equivalent of a district attorney shield. It was a solicitor general shield. So again, uh, if you're at the scene of a, a boating accident or you're in the hospital and someone shows up and, and is displaying that shield, they do have some leeway around to uh, be there. You know, it's it's uh, maybe a criminal division of the district attorney's office or the solicitor general's office. So, again, uh, that really wielded uh, a lot of weight. And think about how the fact that they covered up the first incident where he flipped over the car. I'm talking about Paul now. He flips over the car. And his girlfriend calls 911 and the family shows up and they cover everything up. Would you say that that empowered him to be drunk on the water and cause the boating accident? I mean, you know, they're, they're empowering this kid by showing you, you know, you do it. We're going to cover it up. Don't worry about it. And I am sure that that incident where the uh, car was flipped over will be brought up at the civil trial. I, I would think that that's going to be one of the things that they'll talk about, you know, and they'll probably bring uh, his girlfriend in to talk about that. Well, I, I think that, you know, as Melanie said, being the, the mom of five, uh, you have to give kids boundaries and you have to establish those boundaries through, for lack of a better word, sanctions. <laughs> you know, sure. I don't want to say discipline or sanctions. Right. And for, you know, with discipline, ramifications, there has to be yeah. Yeah, ramifications. Consequence. Look at that. Melody, Melody pulled out a legal term. Look at that. <laughs> ramifications. ramifications for your behavior. Yeah. Yes. I and like that. I'm going to use that with my daughters very soon. <laughs> Next time that they get into a situation, there's going to be ramifications. I like that. And if there is none, no one ever learns how to correct their behavior. They think that they can get away with anything. And I think that was the case with the Murdoch kids and uh, with the adults too, pretty much, you know, when you, when you get away with things because you're almighty and powerful and rich and you won't learn your lesson because you don't get caught and you never get sanctioned, there's no ramifications. It applies to adults also. Sure. You know, what guys, motivation do you have to change? Yeah, well, the only thing that's going to make you change is if, like they say, you get punched right in the face. And that <laughs> could be proverbially or it can be in a different way that you get punched in the face through sanctions or for losing your law license or some type of punishment. Other than that, you're just going to keep trying to get away with things because you've gotten away with it your whole life. Schmitty, thank you so much for the $2 Super Chat. Affluenza is not contagious, thank God. That's a great term, affluenza. That was, I forgot what case that was raised in, but they used the word affluenza for mm -hmm. kids who were spoiled rotten. Yes. And they have that affluenza type thing that they're affluent and they can do whatever they want without ramifications. And that happens to be a real thing. Billy, the word I was looking for before was enabling. The parents of Paul enabled him when they showed up at that accident scene 
and covered everything up and they chastised his girlfriend for calling 911. That was another point of enabling. We talk about enabling with uh, narcotics users, drug addicts. This is the same type of enabling. You can do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. We control the town. We run the town. And then when she's at dinner and they bring up the death of Stephen Smith and they chuckle about it, again, more enabling. It's, it's, it's really stomach churning and disgusting. Absolutely. Tom Cusinelli, Cusinelli, perps always leave evidence and slip up. Yes, Tom, that's usually true, but good you need good investigators to uncover when and where and what evidence the perp left behind. And if, mm -hmm. the, if the investigation sucks, you know, what you did in this case, uh, and maybe that's not a good word, but it's a New York City word, I'll use it. If the investigation's poor, I'll put it that way. You're not going to uncover any evidence of wrongdoing by the people who committed this crime against Stephen Smith. Guys, we're at an hour and 12 minutes. I'm going to give us, this is almost like last call in a bar. Uh, <laughs> Melanie, I'm going to give you final thoughts. You first. Last call. <laughs> final thoughts. I have so many. I just think there's so much more to this case. And I hope that some people come forward that know what really happened. Even co-conspirators who could, you know, get immunity in exchange for their testimony. We need to know what happened here. I think we're all sitting on the edge of our seats because Stephen Smith deserves justice. And it's about time. 100%. I don't know whether to call you Melanie or Vanna White, but you, you're, you're good. You're good anyway. <laughs> Phil, I don't know whether to call you Phil Grimaldi or Joe Pesci. Final thoughts. Here's my final thoughts. The dynasty has fallen. Okay. So because of that fact, the IRS should be up the ass at that law firm. And there should be whatever agencies, attorney general looking at that law firm, because I don't think it stopped with Alec Murdoch embezzling money. They were probably all dirty. There's probably a lot of fugazi stuff going on in that firm. The dynasty has fallen. Let's hope and pray that the fact that this young kid lost his life and what they're calling a motor vehicle accident, the truth can be uncovered and justice can be served. And I would hope and pray that his sexuality wasn't the reason that he was killed. Uh, prayers to his family. God bless his soul. And let's keep our fingers crossed that there's justice served in this case. I could think of two great investigators right here that would be able to maybe do some justice for this case. But unfortunately, we're retired. You know, folks, absolutely. I want to thank everyone, uh, all our, our channel members, our YouTube members, our Patreon members, and just anyone who's subscribed to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories for coming and listening to us. I, we have some exciting guests, as you can see. We pulled Vanna White out of retirement. She's here with us tonight. <laughs> Melanie Little. Oh, she's going to come on next no. time with some. Maybe she's going to pick somebody to compare me to. That's not like 80 years old. I don't know. That's right. Guy? I guess Vanna White's pretty old these days. <laughs> yes, she was always, that's not a good comparison. She no. was always beautiful, but she was always opening the curtain or pointing to the curtain. Yeah. You know. So, Melanie, thank you so much for coming on. You're a fantastic guest. I always appreciate your knowledge, uh, your experience, and your beauty, of course. I have oh, to mention that. Is that okay these days to compliment a woman on their beauty? Or is that politically I'm okay incorrect? with it because you and I are friends. You okay. know what I mean? So, right. you know, we're old friends. So it's Otherwise, you might say, shut up, copper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pig. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Have a great night. God bless. Stay safe, everyone. Good night, Melanie. Thank you. Good night. One episode, just ain't enough